0: I'm sure you've all heard of TED Talks, but if not, here goes. TED is a non-profit devoted to spreading ideas in the form of short, powerful talks. TED began in 1984 as a conference where technology, entertainment, and design converged, and today covers almost all topics, from science to business and global issues, in more than 100 languages. Meanwhile, independently-run TEDx events help share ideas in communities around the world. TEDx London events are organized independently and the leadership team is made up of a diverse group of curious individuals who work to create experiences inspired by TED and the city we all love, London. Marianne Pasha is the London director and curator and is driven by passion and curiosity with a mission to encourage dialogue and engagement, create inclusive spaces and foster debate and discussion that continues long after the events. I first attended TEDx London in the summer of 2018 and fell in love with the whole concept as well as many of the inspirational speakers some of whom have gone on to appear on our podcast. Now, it wasn't easy getting hold of Mariam due to her hectic schedule, but our chat was really a wonderful insight into why she considers TEDx such an important platform for ideas to be shared in London and what it takes to curate and train guests to take to the stage and speak to an audience of over 2,000 people. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is Your London Legacy. Before we meet this week's wonderful guest, here's a little something for you. If you're a fan of the show and would like to get involved and support us at Your London Legacy and help us keep producing amazing content just for you, you can get involved over on our Patreon page. We take every penny and we'll reinvest it back into the show. If you want to get involved and get hold of some really cool benefits or have us create your very own London Legacy episode or maybe meet up with us and other London Legacy lovers in London, you can do that too over at www.patreon.com forward slash Your London Legacy. Okay, let's get on with the show. Well, today, folks, finds me in another place in London. There's another venue I've not actually been to before, which is the... Is it the Conduit Club? Just the Conduit. Just the Conduit, situated here in beautiful Mayfair, 40 Conduit Street. Let's give it a quick plug. (laughs) And I'm with my guest today, Mariam Pasha. Perfect. Have I said that correctly? Perfect. I always ask my guests if I've said it correctly. I appreciate because that. With a name like Stephen Lazarus, I, <laughs> I got Nazareth and Lazarus and Nazaroo. Yeah. So yours is actually fairly straightforward. So welcome to the podcast, Your London Legacy, Mariam.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's Steve. a
0: it's a pleasure to uh, to have you on the uh, on the show. Taking a little bit of effort to track you down has to be said. <laughs> You, yeah. got, you got some good staff, <laughs> some <laughs> yeah, good get, I do. gatekeepers I do. looking after your interests.
1: Yeah, no, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. Well, we're all volunteers at TEDx London, so we kind of have to be a bit more protective
0: of our yeah, time. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, all credit to them. So, I'll just fill the listeners in on how, um, how I came to uh, find out a little bit about you and what you do. You are the director and curator, if I'm not mistaken, of TEDx London and TEDx. East London as well, I think, well, it or used does to it be. one, one subsume the other now? Is...
1: Uh, yeah, so Telex East London ran from 2011 to 2017. Actually, Telex East End. I'm even East gave, End. Even if they were wrong okay. now. Okay, even more specific. Um, then kind of that license closed down and we moved everyone from the team over to Telex London, which was running uh, before for a few years, but we kind of took over in a friendly way and... Uh, started running it um kind of under our vision from 2000 and well publicly from the beginning of 2018. Uh
0: Okay so for those who I I can't imagine there's too many people out in the world today who haven't heard of TED Global or TEDx just explain what the what TED is first of all and what the difference is between TEDx and TED Global the the TED brand.
1: Absolutely so TED is like most people know Ted for those 18-minute talks online that are about anything from giant squids to vulnerability to business. And it's all about sharing ideas worth spreading. And that's been going for like, you know, 30 years, but 10, uh, over 10 years of those videos have been posted online. And, you know, people will have be really familiar with speakers like Brené Brown and…
0: Um, Who's the educational yeah, guy? I, I know, it's terrible. <laughs> Ken. Ken. Ken, 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 yeah.
1: Oh, it's going to come back to me. The most popular speaker of all time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've forgotten it on how schools c- kill creativity. That's so, right. So um, that's what most people are, are familiar with. And then about 10 years ago, actually, TED decided to have this wonderful free chaotic experiment called the TEDx program. And X stands for independently organized events. What they did was something that people could not believe. They basically gave away their brand for free to people all around the world who were TED fans, who wanted to bring a little bit of that TED magic locally into their communities. And what that meant was you, you know, get a license from TED, a yearly license. It's free. And it enables you to use the branding, the logo, the format, and really get support from a global TEDx community. And that experiment that started ten years ago has now grown into three and a half thousand organisers all around the world. And that really means like almost ten events a day happening in every corner of the world. So from you know the top of Mount Everest to a plane to London to every city you can imagine, and uh, they're basically locally run. Often by entire volunteer teams uh, events that are about highlighting local and global talent and spreading ideas
0: mm. so just to put it in some sort of perspective the uh, so a TED event whether it's a TEDx or a TED global brand event which is from America originally there are a series of speakers who come on give short as you say short pre prepared presentations and talks on stage to a live audience and then they are then recorded and you can find them on the online and you find them on YouTube. And as I say, just to put it in perspective, some of the top speakers, you said like Bernie Brown in the chat, the educator, we can't yeah. remember his name. Some of them have how many downloads? They're, they're oh, silly I mean, they're numbers, are they? Views. They're, they're in the millions. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like like the, the top views are like 30 million views. So, so the, the exposure
0: that not just the person but the ideas can get is is astronomical.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I think what made... I, 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 at, <laughs> this, at this
0: point, it's probably fair to say we tried to get into the, uh, the main building at the conduit here, and it's absolutely packed. And uh, very kind, we are trying to find a quiet spot, and the very kind lady showed us out to the roof terrace, which is beautiful. And despite the fact she's been chucking it down pretty <laughs> yeah, really much most of the day, we are undercover, and it's not cold, but... We are in central London. And it's
1: everyone's building, building, And everyone's building, building like so, mad. Yeah.
0: And there's helicopters going over the top <laughs> and it's pretty nuts. So we'll try and cut down some of this sound out the back. So you were saying
1: uh yeah so i think what made ted so special and what made it grow as a global brand and what made these videos so popular is you know it was really about the ideas it was about these ideas that were you know understandable in 18 minutes that were captivating that were presented and delivered in a way that was accessible to someone who doesn't have a phd in the subject and they were rehearsed you know i think that's what's made Ted stand out and that's what made has made them really watchable and captivating. And, you know, so that's what we try to do with our talks as well so that they're, they're captivating in the room. You want to listen to them. They talk about new and innovative ideas that maybe you haven't heard about, Mm. but they also work in a digital online format. And I think, you know, in the age we live in, people both crave that connectivity that live events brings, but they also want to be able to consume content online in a way that works for them. And, and this and what I love
0: about it as well is that the people who typically talk aren't seeking fame and fortune and celebrity. And in fact, not many of the speakers are actually celebrities. You know, quite a lot of them are quite well known in you know in their niche, like Brené Brown, a wonderful author and psychologist, yeah. Yeah. you know, an educationist, and people like that. And you had Will Young, um, mm. the 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 uh, musician, musician uh, the one we went to in two thousand eighteen. But these are people who've got wonderful ideas that they want to get out there and, and that need expressing publicly. Uh,
1: absolutely. I mean, that's the thing: is a lot of TED speakers weren't famous until they were TED speakers. Mm. It was it was Brené Brown's talk that you know, catapulted her into Oprah and Uh. into the book deals and everything. You know, I think, you know, obviously on a local level with us, uh, the TEDx is slightly different. You know, the exposure is different. We don't maybe have as many views. But so many of the speakers that I've worked with, you know, they've been doing the hard work for years, um, you know, at the, you know, not great phrase, but at the coalface, you know, Mm. you know, head down. Doing, Making the change, doing the work, understanding, research, whatever their area is. And then this opportunity to give a TED or a TEDx talk com- comes along and all of a sudden they get to communicate something that they've been passionate about for years to a whole new world and the community and it's this idea of ideas being contagious and this this thought that you know sometimes a time has come for an idea to spread and once that time has come it's unstoppable and Mm. that's really what i think the whole experiment is based on
0: so how did you first get involved with this because obviously the TEDx London that is now held in this, the South Bank in, is it the Royal Festival Hall? Yeah. It's the Royal Festival Hall building, isn't it? It's got a, an auditorium there, which is, I think, 2,000, two 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 2,500, people. So it's a pretty big gig you're taking on here. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so I started, much like many people, uh, I was a fan. I watched the talks online from the TED conferences. I love them. They helped me think about my world and my life and my work differently. And then back in 2011, I got to go to the first live stream of the TED women conference so ted women is a sub brand of ted and and that happens once a year and i loved it and it was hosted in in shoreditch and it was you know we were watching live from from i think california was where the conference was and i thought to myself this is amazing and i knew the organizers so i asked them how did you get this how did you run this tedx event that i never even heard of and they said anyone can do it. Just look online. So I went, you know, promptly online and found that anyone can apply for a license to run a TEDx event. And either it can be a live stream, like the one I had been to, or it can have live speakers. And I had I've been organizing events as part of my work for so long, mm. so long. I mean, even since I was in high school, I've been organizing. Oh, uh, what sort of scale? You know, I had done like 2,000 person events in the
0: UN. Oh, you had? So this didn't sort of particularly phase you?
1: Well, not that it didn't (laughs) phase me, but I just, if there was one thing I could do was run events, you know, and I was passionate about human rights and I worked in that field at the time. And so I I said, you know, and a a license never goes to an institution. It always goes to an individual. So I went to my work. I was working for a small human rights charity in London at the time. And I said to my boss, I want to run a TEDx event. And I want you to donate some of my time to be able to do it. And he was like, "Who is Ted?" I had no <laughs> idea. And so, you know, that's began my process of uh, sending him talks daily to get him on board. And you know, he was on board after a month. And so, very generously, you know, donated some of my working hours so I could start TEDx East End. So that started in 2011. You know, there was a hundred people in the room. The stage set was made of stuff from my living room. There were eight of us who organised it before the event and on the day, and it was amazing. I still I love, love that. that content. Yeah. And then by 2017, we were running, you know, a thousand people at Hackney Empire, a staff of twenty volunteer staff on the day of of a hundred, um, a totally different operation. And, and then the opportunity came to to kind of take over the TEDx London license, which had been running on and off. Since two thousand and I think nine, mm. but it's a massive operation and, and and it exhausts people. And and actually, the license holder at the time, who I knew super well and had loads of respect for, because he just did amazing stuff, said I I need to step back. And and so I just went to the team and said, you know, do we stick with East End or do we take on this you know challenge? And they were all up for taking on the challenge. So we we talked to Ted, and Ted was happy for us to kind of take over the license, so to speak. And uh, we did that. You know, we kind of started working behind the scenes in 2017, and then 2018 really took the plunge and and grew it. You know, we it we grew it to this Royal Festival Hall. Like all of a sudden, we just. One of my team, my creative director Rebecca and I, joke about this idea that in thirty years we'll look back and say, "Remember that time we decided to book a very expensive venue <laughs> for two and a half thousand people with zero money in the bank and just thinking we can do this?" Uh-huh. Um, it was really a And two thousand eighteen yeah. was a tough year for and us. And this is
0: a non nonprofit organization. Yeah, so
1: so we're non we're non for profit. We also are entirely volunteer led. So we really, it's really a passion project, and we have about twenty seven let called call them staff core team who work on this all year round and every who are week. amazing
0: i have to say if you ever attend the event they are brilliant
1: they are the best people i've ever worked with yeah. in my life and that's what keeps us going and then you know now we have 250 volunteers who volunteer wow. on the day it's a different scale we have incredible partners who just invest in us in a way that we can't quite believe because we are a volunteer team and they just believe in what we're doing. And so without them also, we really mm. wouldn't be possible. It's kind of like, you know, when everything comes together magically, that's, I feel very lucky for
0: that. Blessed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So is this now your full time sort of, I mean, I can't imagine you've got much time for anything else. No, it's not. It's (laughs) not. So
1: three years ago, I set up my own business. I Uh left the charity world and and kind of set up my own thing. And so I'm very lucky that I get to donate about half of my time to working on TEDx London. It fluctuates from like 20 to 80%, depending on the time of year, but generally about half of my time. And and the other half, uh, I run my own business. Okay, we'll
0: touch on that in a minute. Sure. One of the key elements of putting on a, a gig like this when you've got two and a half thousand people and how many speakers? 18, 18. 15 it, to 18, It yeah. is finding the right caliber of guest. And when I say caliber, that's not to demean those who aren't naturally public speaking or a bit shy no. or introvert because the people who are up on stage may never have done any public speaking and will need the training that you provide as well. So how do you go about identifying the people the topic their ability to you know want to present an idea
1: yeah i have to say it's been a long journey mm. to become a curator which is what i do now that's that's really what's
0: the... it like being on the other end of it in this podcast right? yeah me, me not... having to find you out yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly I, you know I, and i've done some, i do some speaking from time to time yeah. so i've been on both both ends of it but you know being a curator is really about learning to trust your gut and learning to believe in your point of view and and it's really been a 10-year journey to get to a point where now i i have that i have you know I, obviously i work i have an incredible curation team that works with me and what we do is we just do a lot of research because as you said before I, i'm not interested in people who already have a platform to speak even when we had will young you know he didn't perform he didn't sing we had him talking about something very personal and serious to him to his life you know mental health and so what i want is speakers who Maybe you've never heard of, but you will after they come and speak Perfect. at TEDx London.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: and but how do you go about that, find I mean, that yeah so, so
0: okay so you start with the broad brush theme of what you want yes. to present for that particular year and last year well, it was so we we've, beyond...
1: we've actually kept the same thing yeah, beyond borders, beyond borders. Yes. we've kept it for two years of telex london and we've also had the same theme at telex east end it's it's more than a theme for us it's a value statement mm. it's the way we see the world and it's what we want the world to look like is a world beyond borders and so we program to that every year um Theme has just become more and more relevant, which is both great and sad because mm-hmm. it, it's almost because the world is going through so many difficult moments and shifts and the rise of populism, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. that something like Beyond Borders is a home for people who live in a city like London that is global and connected and want to to imagine and work towards creating that world instead of what seems to be happening, which is pulling in the opposite sure. direction.
0: So you've got this broad theme, yeah. which which is wonderful and admirable, admirable, is, is great, you get some wonderful speakers, but it, because it is so broad and so varied, how do you then yeah. niche down and identify the characters, the personalities you want to speak? So
1: all year, I'm reading, I'm listening, I'm going to events. What, you, I'm, what are you reading? Uh... Articles. Loads and loads of articles. People will refer stuff to me. I'm constantly on the lookout. Anyone who goes to an event, I know. I say to them, tell me if you hear someone great speaking. You know, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm looking at uh, new pieces of research coming out of the great, you know, academic institutions in London. We use loads of insiders that we've worked with to recommend speakers. So our, our team has lots of expertise. So, you know, one of my speaker curation team is an expert in biology and another one is expert in the arts and so i'm you know they're out there looking with their lens um there will be topics where i know i want someone to talk about that and so i will go and i will find like maybe five people who talk about that and try to listen and read everything they've said or spoken about this online that's
0: before you've even contacted yeah them. yeah
1: if you've got a video or an article or a podcast out there, I will listen to it before yeah. I I contact you, and that's not because I want to make sure that they are great speakers. I can help with that. Mm-hmm. It's I want to make sure their idea is one that's suitable to for a TED-like stage, and because some ideas are not that they're too complex, but they're not quite there yet. You know, it, often when I'm working with academics, the conversation is, you know, is this the right time for you? Is yeah. your research in the right place? But we do all of that. We get. We get applications. Um, I was going to
0: say, do you have to be approached or can, can people approach you? People
1: can approach us. We have applications and we, you know, we, we store them and then we come back to them a couple of times a year and look at who's there. So some of our really like popular speakers have come through that process. Like David Rothery, who you saw in 2018, who talked about the Mercury mission. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. He came, fascinating. He came through an application you know, yeah. on our website. And we also run... Um, a program called OpenX, where we look for speakers aged sixteen to twenty-five, and we run like a a, a national competition for them, um, where we invite them to submit videos with their ideas. And you know, Jamala, who I know has been on your program before, yeah. came through the OpenX program with us. And so, it, all it is that it's because young people aren't always going to put themselves forward and we want to explicitly go and invite them to do it and that's mm-hmm. what the program allows so all like an octopus like eight different ways that we try and go and find yeah
0: and once you've made the you made a decision you want to go for person x um and you've made that approach what, what's their typical reaction if they if they're not aware of you sort of tinkering and researching in the background um
1: yeah most people are really open to it actually because the brand has grown yeah. and people are aware of it they're 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 excited about it. Um, we also have a good reputation as TEDx London, you know, the quality of our videos, yeah. the quality of support we I, provide. I, I them. was thinking
0: more, oh crap, I've now got to speak. You know, if I'm going to do this, I've got to stand in front of two and a half thousand yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, we
1: obviously we have some of that. There's some convincing <laughs> that goes on. Um, there, and, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, oh no, I know someone better. And I'd say to them, no, no, I want you. Like, I've done the research and I know about all the other people, but I, I still want uh. you and I want your unique perspective. I think. If people are nervous, you know, we do talk through thoroughly how much support they'll get from us.
0: Let's take a very quick break just to remind you, if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or you meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. So what what is the once you've identified them and they've accepted the gig, what is what is the process of then getting up and ready to perform sure. on the day?
1: The most important thing for any talk, which is and our starting process in the coaching, is identifying their core idea, their idea worth spreading. You know that's the what makes TED talks great, and it's about being strict, one idea, that is focused and narrow. And you stick to that and you don't let yourself as a speaker, you know, go on tangents or go off in other directions. And it's that rigorousness that we we start with finding that idea. And sometimes it can take months.
0: Mm. I guess that's to keep them focused and stop rambling in their thoughts and Mm -hmm. getting their speech ready but also the audience has to click with an idea if you've got lots of ideas from one speaker you'll never never associate them with anything absolutely
1: you know we want people to be able to go away and say the next day to their friends or their colleagues hey i you know i heard so and so speak and they talked about this you know that summary that one sentence we work with speakers for a long time to get that right and then build the talk from around that
0: Mm. Fantastic. In fact, as I'm talking to you, I'm just thinking there was a film made of one of the guys, a young um, guy from a small African tribe who made electricity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. out of the uh, the wind turbines. Yes, yes. And that was made into a feature feature-length yeah. film. I
1: mean, there there's the stories behind the speakers are so interesting. Yes, I snagging. wish, I kind of wish each of them could have like an hour to do. We could, you know, be on their talk, and we're thinking about ways we can do that with them and get that out to our community, but. Yeah, you've got, and, and we don't actually normally have talks that are 18 minutes long. You know, we try to make sure our talks are like 12 to 15 minutes. So that is a short amount of time. It is.
0: Why do you do that?
1: More watchable online. It forces people to be more succinct and more specific. You know, that whole quote that's attributed to everyone, like, I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Yeah. You know, it, it, it actually takes more effort. Yeah, it does. Um, it's about engaging in that process and you know we're under no illusions we, we really clear with speakers at the beginning to say this is going to be a lot of time and work and commitment but you are going to be so happy with what you walk away with that you will want everyone to see it and that's kind of what we're working towards
0: and is that the feedback you get typically from the speakers not the audience at the moment but, but the speakers themselves mm-hmm. how do they feel typically after the event Apart from, thank God, that's finished.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's hard to say this with a lot of humility, but they say it's the best event they've ever spoken yeah, at. Yeah. It's the best process they've ever been taken part in. They've never been so well looked after. Um, the feedback we get from speakers is incredible. And in a way, we know that we're doing the right thing when we're trying to, we get that spontaneous kind of feedback from them. And the way they speak about their experience with us, it's so gratifying. That's what we want. You know, we don't we don't pay any of our speakers. Mm. No TED or TEDx event pays any of their speakers so we are really in this together they're giving their time we're giving our time so when they leave with a talk that they love and also an experience that they can use so many of the speakers come up to us and say after that talk I I spoke to one actually who's just had a book come out who spoke in 2018 and she said after that talk I could speak anywhere I wasn't nervous about doing anything I knew how to prep I knew that I could do it and it's just changed everything because now I'm on this book tour and I'm very comfortable doing it. So
0: it's even more than just the idea. It's it's, it's actually helping them overcome maybe some concerns and fears, negative ideas they have of themselves as well. I think
1: it's about like uh you know equipping them with the skills to know that they and, and the confidence to know that their ideas are amazing and that they are great communicators for those ideas and that you know I guess it, it all comes down to a belief that when we put a speaker on stage, we are, we're making a value judgment, right? Ideas worth spreading is the tagline line for Ted. That word worth, it, it means that as a curator, I'm saying that this is an idea that I believe in. And so we want to make sure it's communicated in a way because we, we believe it can change the world.
0: Yeah. Again, thinking of some of the guests I've had on the podcast, and we've had three or four not just from TEDx London, who've, who've spoken there, but another lady was at a TED Globe. I think it was a TED Globe. We had a Carolyn Steele, did Hungry City, right? All about how you feed a feed a huge conurbation mm-hmm. and growing. Amazing, Sounds amazing, fascinating yeah. lady. They're all so humble. They're all so down to earth and so willing to give and share their time and ideas. And that's yeah. what I found so inspiring about them.
1: Absolutely. I always say that every year I have like fifteen love affairs with the speakers. <laughs> you know, I fall in love fifteen times because I really. Do think they are the best people I meet, and I'm so privileged to be able to spend mm. my time with them. Mm.
0: One idea I know is close to your heart is this idea of uh, imposter syndrome. I don't know if you, I, th- I don't know if you were writing a book or you were considering writing a book, or we've all got book ideas, yeah. haven't we? We never get round to it. But I know, I know, imposter syndrome is a thing that we've all probably struggled with from time to time, myself included. Just talk about how people you know what it is first of all and how we can overcome that
1: yeah so imposter syndrome is this feeling that somehow you fooled everyone around you into thinking that you're amazing but actually you're a fraud and someday soon someone important is going to find out and it can make you feel like you have to hide. It can make you not enjoy your accomplishments. It can always make you feel like you have to do one more thing, one more degree, one more book, one more job, you know, one more experience until you're good enough. And it's something that I've dealt with my whole life. And so that's why it's so something that when I had heard the term imposter syndrome for the first time, it was like, oh, wow, there's something that can describe how I've been feeling for decades. You it's know? weird,
0: isn't it? We, we all get it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... There, I, I, there are lots of reasons why, and there's some really great research out there about why. I think and it's as varied as there are people, really. Um, it does seem to be a, a kind of a bit of a universal human experience. Not everyone feels it, um, and that's great. But sometimes, you know, you'll feel it later in life. Sometimes certain situations like public speaking or a new job or going to university can trigger it. Certain groups will feel it more than others. I mean, there's a misconception that only women feel imposter syndrome. But really, the research that's coming out now is showing that everyone feels it.
0: I can vouch, it's not yeah. just women.
1: <laughs> but what's happening is that women are listening to those yes. imposter voices more and it's impacting their trajectory yeah. of their careers more. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, I, I gave a, I actually gave a TEDx talk on the subject many years ago. Okay. Um, uh, and I was going to write a book, but turns out, which I did know, I don't actually like writing very much. <laughs> um, so it's it's been a lot of blogs and a lot of writing and thinking about it in smaller form and, you know, still thinking about what we do with it. But I think the 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 trick with imposter syndrome really is that its, its power lies in its secrecy. You know, the whole idea is you don't want to get found out, so you don't tell other people that you feel this way. When you start to talk about it, it breaks that magical hold on you, and you realize I'm not alone. This is normal, and there's a way out. For me, the best way out, the kind of because there's no cure, I think it's more like a dial. You can just turn it down, really, rather than turning it off. Is uh, for me, it's been harnessing a bit of anger and frustration. Interestingly, mm. um, I call it the Donald Trump effect you know, is this idea of looking out in the world and seeing mediocre people succeeding and thinking, hang on a second, I can do that. I'm better than that. Why am I feeling so doubtful of myself? And that's just been it for me. But yeah, I think talking about it and sharing has been the most important thing.
0: Yeah. There's other techniques as well. I mean, being angry is not one I've come across, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but that's a good one. And also some people think that other people are better than them. You know, when you're in a one-on-one situation or a group situation, everybody in this group has got a better idea and is better place to talk about this topic than me. But one concept that somebody once told me is you look at the other person in the face and you think of them without any clothes on.
1: Oh, <laughs> don't know if that <laughs> works anymore. Or you
0: think of them with like a, cl- a clown's face or something yeah, something yeah. daft. So to make, to, to make them look <laughs> silly in your mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think actually the thing to do is to look at that other person and say they are feeling the same thing yeah, i'm yeah. feeling right yeah. they are feeling like i'm amazing and i've got it all together and i've got all the answers and and it's also this idea of being a relative expert you know you're sometimes you're not going to be the best like whatever that means but relatively to the room that you're speaking to you are the expert and it's it's harnessing that and it's also in terms of working with speakers it's saying you know why have i been asked to speak the organizers obviously not stupid they've obviously done their research they've asked me to speak for a reason let me find out what that is and harness it
0: mm, very true still doesn't dispense with the nerves though on the day i no, guess no
1: i mean that's <laughs> a whole other thing
0: <laughs> I, I, I know some some well good speakers who still get very it's like being a you know an experienced actor or experienced you know, stage artists you still yeah. go up and some, some some guys still will puke before they go yeah, on stage yeah. for a live performance. I think it's
1: really natural, yeah. actually. I think, you know, lots of people get... I get nervous. Yeah. I've been doing this for so long, you know. The, I get the, nervous
0: the, just doing this. <laughs> I
1: do. Yeah, I mean, right before I go on stage for... Because I host our events, that that two minutes before I go on stage, I just think to myself, this is a terrible idea. Why am I doing this? And just, there's butterflies in my stomach and, and whatnot. And, you know, I've come to accept it as part of the process And now. once you
0: start... You just you relax good. and you feel good and you yeah. just go into it. So that's the speaker side of things. What about the audience side? Where are they typically drawn from in sort of geographically and ethnically and age group?
1: Our audience is quite diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're very aware that the ticket price is a barrier. So we're doing everything we can to lower that barrier. Uh-huh. Our vision is not to create a TEDx London that's for the the wealthiest portion of Londoners. There's lots of stuff for them our vision is to create a London that is for as many Londoners as possible people who are fans people looking for a home a sense of belonging but also people who've never heard of TED or TEDx before and this is their first experience so we want to do everything we can to do that so we, we do what we can around ticket price we work with community groups to give out free tickets um, we do outreach to student groups etc but our audience is quite diverse and that's wonderful You know, um, I, the best comment I ever remember reading Uh, was from 2018, and someone said on their Instagram, they said, as a a queer, disabled, woman of color, migrant Londoner, I've never felt somewhere where I belong so much. Wow. And I thought to myself, that's exactly the point, you know. Um, So we, we do what we can to make it more diverse, but it's not for everyone. And that's been the biggest learning for me as an organizer is, you know, our event isn't for everyone. And that is okay. Because the great thing about TEDx events is there are loads of them. There are like 20 TEDxes in London. You'll find one that fits well, there's you. There's that many in London. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're not always all active every single year. But yeah, there are about 20 active license holders in London. I and
0: wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, so you'll yeah.
1: find an event that's for you if ours isn't. But I guess... Uh, <laughs> I guess I've gotten to the point where, you know, when you, I don't know if you have this, but when you read feedback, you always go to the negative ones. And that's what the ones you focus on It's gone to the point where I'm looking for certain kinds of feedback to know whether I'm on the right track, certain kinds of negative feedback. So negative feedback that I don't like are things like, oh, it wasn't organized or I, you know, I stood in line too long, which we don't get anymore, which is great. Positive negative feedback is I didn't like that speaker or I didn't agree with that. Or I think this was too diverse. That stuff I love. Because it's it's what we're looking for. That's what the kind of we want this to be a discussion, and it may not be for everyone, and that's okay.
0: No, sure. I, as I say, I wasn't aware there were other TEDx, I, I knew there was your one TEDx London. I knew there was a TEDx East East End. Yeah, I knew there's a TEDx the, the the women. What do, what do you call that one? We the, call the, te, we
1: have TEDx London Women. TEDx
0: London Women. But I thought that was it. I didn't. I didn't appreciate. Mm-hmm. But yours is certainly the biggest, surely. In London, it's, London. it's, it's the biggest. Yeah. But
1: one of you know, there's TEDx Euston that's been going for ten years and is amazing and focuses on the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. TEDx NHS that's run for the NHS community. Okay. There's a new one that's a plug because I love the new that is that pop up that's coming up in a few months called TEDx Ladbroke Grove. Which is wonderful. There's TEDx UCL Women that does an incredible job. There are some amazing TEDxes, and not just in London, all over the UK. UK has a thriving TEDx community.
0: Mm. Comparing yours, the two and a half thousand every year to one, some of the ones in America. How does that compare, sort of size wise?
1: Oh, you know what? The biggest ones aren't in America. The biggest ones are in Brazil and India. Really? A Brazil. Um, one of the organisers is an amazing woman from São Paulo. She runs it in their s- football stadium. So, you know, when I literally say there are TEDxers of every size, yeah. The other big one in the UK is in Liverpool, uh-huh. uh, which is about 2,000. um, run by an amazing guy up there. So, it's it's a great community. And TEDx Glasgow is really big. Do you
0: get to go around and see some of them? I try ones? to
1: go to as many as I can. We try to send our team to as many as we can um, go to. I think it's important to support each like other.
0: A- I don't know, like a TEDx-friendly society or confederation where you all get together and swap ideas and meet up once a year? Yeah,
1: yeah. So there are lots of opportunities. We have a hub online where we do that. We do um, yearly workshops for the community. There are like European-level discussions, one coming up in Rome later this month. There's global ones we go to. So I just came back from TED Summit in Edinburgh, um, which brought people from 84 countries or something oh, together. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I said we wanted to touch briefly on w- what you do as well outside of this. So, sure. talk about a little bit about your, your consultancy, your business. <laughs> Great. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> that's a I pleasure. I get to talk about that. Um, <laughs> so,
1: uh, yeah. So, three years ago, I set up my own business. Had been running events, curating, coaching speakers for te- over 10 years and kind of realized that my passion lay there. Um, obviously come from a psychology and politics and human rights background which has been a great asset actually in understanding a changing world and so now I I think I have the best job in the world right so now I get to work with individuals, uh, charities, startups and big multinationals doing everything from pitch coaching to public speaking coaching and storytelling to event design and curation so that whole gamut of things I get to do with my private clients and it's wonderful because I get to bring all the knowledge and and fun from the TEDx world and all the magic I've learned from that into working with you know this really diverse group of speakers. So everything from like students and young you know uh, entry level uh, people in like a charity to creatives in an ad agency to executives that are. So it's not just business
0: to business. It's actually reaching out maybe to customers and consumers, and g- again getting ideas out there. Yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, it, it's all underlined by the same belief, right? That ideas expressed in a compelling way can change the world. That's the the underlying belief of everything I do. And so whether I'm working with a, a startup that's trying to pitch their business for investment, or whether I'm working with a company to curate a series of events, we bring the same like lens. And I think a lot of this You know, the work we do around diversity of voice, around supporting speakers, around using compelling storytelling narratives, around looking at people's place in the world, it's resonating with more and more people, you know, it's not just charities, it's not people just trying to do good, I think everyone is changing the way they work and so we're really excited to work with those yeah i think guys.
0: storytelling is so important and it hasn't become popular or so well known until the last few years i think because people have always you know here's the benefits is you know how, how we do this and here's the gizmo that does that Yeah. but the storytelling is what people are because it's a story that will resonate with people and the image of stories is what stays with you not necessarily the benefits or how things work but the story which is why we're so fascinated. i always say this is why we're so fascinated with things like well, I'm not personally, but things like Estenders or Facebook, for example, yeah. because everybody's putting their stories yeah, on, yeah. Out, out there like, and themselves you know,
1: there. Think about how much people cared about what happened with Game of Thrones. You know, I it, didn't. Well, yeah, <laughs> but never you know, there are millions but, yeah, of people yeah, around yeah. the world who were so invested in the outcome, yeah. um, including me. And yet there are compelling stories that are real life happening all around the world. And I think movements that change the world change the world because they have a compelling narrative there's a great talk just come out by george mombio um, the author journalist environmentalist about narratives um this summer and it's absolutely you know essential to you know if we want to create the world that we want to live in we get there by telling stories and sharing those ideas in a way that people can then go and share i mean it's it's like it's a universal part of the human experience. We've been telling stories almost longer than we've been doing. Well, what is you know, religion if it's else. not
0: a story? You know, even you know? if you think
1: about it, you know, stories maybe haven't been popular, you know, for the last 30 years. But they were popular like a thousand years ago, right? Yeah. So they've always been there. No,
0: for sure. So you've got religion, which is stories passed down from generation to generation. You've got the stories that your parents tell you as yeah. kids, which are nursery rhymes, which you remember. Yeah. And fables, the- mythology. Fables,
1: yeah. um, you know, it, it's all part of the way i think our brains are wired to communicate information you're much more likely to go and retell a story that you've heard than you are to go and retell statistics absolutely. the real magic is where you can go and retell statistics using a story
0: yeah absolutely and it's more fun oh yeah you know statistics and how things work is just dull but a story, unless there's a story around unless it. there's a story wrapped around it yeah so that's obviously going very well for you you
1: Yes, it is it is and I and I love it I love working for myself I love working for clients who value what I do and believe in what I believe in and it's a very lucky privileged position to be in um, and it does let me also you know invest the time I want to invest in something like TEDx London and TEDx London women
0: yeah that's perfect so I know you're a bit strapped for time and you got uh, we're, we're nearly on the uh, the hour mark I know you got some further guests you meeting here as well so before we wrap up when is the next TEDx London coming up and yeah how can people find out about it sure
1: so this is a great timing out Actually, so TEDx London Women is coming up on the 7th of December okay. at the Queen Elizabeth Hall at the South Bank Centre. Yeah. It's, se- it's the second TEDx London Women event we're running. Tickets go on sale on Monday, the 30th of September. Okay, um, And the reason I say that, so clearly is because last year we sold out in three days wow
0: um so well this will be going out not monday monday week so tickets might actually already be gone so so, yeah yeah. hopefully hopefully, (laughs) hopefully if you're listening
1: you'll have got your tickets or you'll be on the waiting list um i'm really excited about it because we're also doing something really cool this year, which is called a relaxed viewing so we'll have the theatre, um, uh, the Queen Elizabeth Hall theatre, but we'll also next door have a room called the Purcell Room. She's a slightly smaller theatre. Where we'll be streaming live, and it will be a chance for people who want to see the show, interact with the speakers, be part of the experience, but maybe need to do it in an environment where the lights are a bit brighter. They can talk and move around. Oh, they bring their kids. They can. We say you can tick, talk, and you can you can tick, talk, and move, and and that's totally tick, fine. talk,
0: and move. Tick, talk, and move. Yeah, yeah that's great. I like that, and presumably men can go as well. Or oh yeah, uh, anyone anyone Um, can go. Yeah, it's open to genders.
1: It's open to everyone of every gender presentation that you can think of: cis men and women, trans men and women, non-binary, gender fluid, all of that.
0: Perfect. So that's that one. What's next after that? And
1: then 2020, we haven't announced it yet. So we, you know. But
0: it will be in May.
1: We don't know the date yet. We don't yet. know the date yet. So it may be a bit later next year. So we're just trying to lock all that down.
0: But don't do what I did and turn up a week early no, and miss do the that. damn show.
1: Because it's going to be great. I can tell good. you that. We've already locked in some of the speakers. So I know Have it's going to be really, okay. really good. Any
0: clues you're not allowed to see? Um,
1: there might be some creepy crawly- crawlies. Oh, wonderful. I know. There might Lovely. be some science. Good. There'll be some good stuff.
0: Excellent. So that's going to be, but, but that's all announced. So. People, the best thing to do is to get onto your website and subscribe and to get notifications? Yeah,
1: so either you know, sign up to our newsletter, which you can do at TEDxLondon.com. Follow us on any of our social channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn at TEDxLondon, or, you know, me. Um, so if
0: people want to get in touch with you personally or for your business needs. Yeah, so
1: you can find me on Twitter at uh, this is ThisIsPasha, um, on Instagram at Marian Pasha, and the website is x equals dot London.
0: Perfect. Well, it's been an absolute delight to have you on the show. And it looks like the timing is just about spot on as well. Yeah. So thank you ever so much. Thanks so much for having me. No, it's not at great. all. And hopefully I'll uh, I'll turn up at the Craig yeah, Day, day next time as well. I'll see you at the uh, the one you've got coming up shortly as well. Hopefully, yeah, definitely. Thank you very much, Mariam. Thanks so much. mate. Well, we now come to the part of the show when I always ask my guests if they can say one or two places in London that are particularly personal to them that they that they love and i've just i, I actually um sort of hit mariam with this <laughs> without pre-warning her so she's had a moment to think about it so what is the place mariam that you like
1: so i think two places yeah very different one of them is where we are today the conduit yeah
0: which is uh, which is lovely which i love really uh lovely. great
1: community great people uh-huh. great food great events it so is a, it is a
0: members only it club there is a fee but but
1: if it's if it's your thing this is the place yeah. to be and the second is i love the almeida uh, or the almeida theater that is in um, Angel, angel Islington it's a just incredible theater their shows often go on to the west end everything i've seen there has just blown me away and yeah i absolutely love it so if you're looking for a bit of theater that's out of you know the west end but it's still great i recommend that
0: lovely thank you ever so much thank that's you perfect two great recommendations every week here at your london legacy we bring straight to your device a new and fascinating guest with a wonderful london-based story we hope you enjoy listening to their timeless stories as much as we enjoy creating them for you. If so, the best way to show your appreciation is to subscribe to the show. Simply go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com and pop your name and email in the box where shown. That way you'll never miss another episode. Thank you for your support.